how does the cholesterol in an egg compare to, say, a slab of steak or a Big Mac that you might get from McDonald's? Well, the cholesterol itself is the same molecule. What's different about an egg is there is so much more of it. You'd have to eat a heck of a lot of meat to get the amount of cholesterol that you get from an egg. There is more cholesterol in an egg than just about any other food. It's highly, highly concentrated. And we actually met with the decision makers at the Department of Health and Human Services and the USDA and had to talk with them. We went through the evidence and they changed their tune. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Anaheim, California, Patterson, New Jersey, and San Juan, Puerto Rico. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 18 of season 6, number 414 overall. Eggs. Are they a superfood or are they a health hazard that's just waiting to bring you down? The truth is we are in the middle of an egg war, my friend. And some people say the high levels of cholesterol they have, they will stop your heart. But others say that the cholesterol in eggs won't raise the cholesterol in your blood, not one little bit. Some say the protein from eggs is second to none. Others say getting that protein from somewhere else might just save your life. And now the FDA is weighing whether to officially label eggs as a health food. So what in the world are we to believe? Well, we are going to crack open the science behind eggs and get to the truth today with Dr. Neil Barnard. He joined me on the exam room live this week, and you can always join us every Wednesday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on YouTube or on Facebook. But I'm so excited, not just for today's episode, but because Dr. Barnard and renowned breast cancer surgeon, Dr. Christy Funk will be my very special guests on March 30th for the exam room live and in person in Los Angeles. This is going to be at the eBell, our first time doing a live show like this. Tickets start at just $15, and VIP tickets are also available that include a phenomenal plant-based dinner, exclusive giveaways, photo opportunities before the show, and then priority seating for the show itself. Hurry, tickets are limited, but you can pick up yours right now at pcrm.org events, or just click the link in the episode notes. Today's episode of The Exam Room Live is powered by the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. The Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit people. You can visit them online right now at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org. I think even the most hardened skeptics may be shocked at just how much money the egg industry is sinking into a lot of the studies we're going to be talking about today. And the money that they're spending to influence not just these studies, but our perception of eggs. 
Is this really an uncommon practice? Absolutely not, because meat does it, dairy does it, virtually every major industry does it. But right now, we are at a crossroads with eggs, so that is going to be the focus of the show today. And we're ready to begin. Here now, a closer look at the incredible edible egg. Thanks for being here, my friend. Thank you, Chuck. Great to be back with you. So this conversation really started with a question that was sent in by Christopher. He's an exam roomie, and man, he was just as confused as millions of others out there. And he was like, I have to know what is the score with eggs. My family says healthy. You guys say hold your horses. What is the truth about eggs? Are they healthy? The truth is no, they, they are basically cholesterol pills. Um, there is more cholesterol in an egg than just about any other food. It's highly, highly concentrated. That's for a reason. Because what is an egg? An egg, when it is laid, has everything in it to make a chicken. That's right. You know, the egg doesn't order out for room service. There's no more food coming in. Everything that it takes to make a chicken, the feathers, the legs, the beak, the eyes, the, the liver, it's all got to be in that egg when it's laid. And so that means it's got a massive amount of cholesterol because cholesterol is part of making animal tissues. And it's got some saturated fat. It's got some protein in it, but it does not have the things you need for health. Um, it doesn't have complex carbohydrates. It doesn't have the vitamins that we need. So no, eggs, part of the problem, not part of the solution. Well, here's the interesting thing. People, they, they hear that, but then you have this other contingent, like I was talking about a minute ago, who say, well, listen, that cholesterol pill won't raise your blood cholesterol. So where are they getting that information from? It doesn't seem to me to compute. It shouldn't compute. Um, there is something called the Egg Nutrition Center. The Egg Nutrition Center is an egg industry funded um, program that works really, really hard to try to make eggs look good. And so they actually fund many, many studies that look at what, what do, what's the effect of the egg on various aspects of health, including cholesterol. They publish a lot of studies on this. And their conclusions are, don't exactly match their findings. Here's what I mean. Uh, they'll, they'll bring in some people, they'll feed them eggs, and their cholesterol levels typically go up. In 80 or 90% of these studies, their cholesterol levels go up a, a little or a lot. But then when they get to the conclusion part of the paper, they say, well, the increase in cholesterol was not really significant or, or not so bad compared to butter or something like that. In fact, a couple of years, our team went through every study ever done on whether eggs raise cholesterol or not. Some of them were funded by industry. Some were, were not funded by industry. And what we found, the studies agree that cholesterol is, goes up in response to eating eggs. Where the studies don't agree is that the ones that are funded by the egg industry tend to to try to diminish that finding. They'll say, yeah, it'll go up, but but not so much compared to meat, butter, something like that. And, and maybe the result is, isn't so, uh, so life-threatening or something like that. Uh, frankly, dishonest. Um, but the bottom line, the debate is over. Eggs raise cholesterol. That study that you're talking about, when you guys, you went back and looked at data, I think you started tracking it in 1950s, the studies that were being published. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, we really didn't start to see any egg industry funded studies until the 1970s. 
what happened in that era and certainly more in the 80s and then the 90s it really started to take off if i'm not mistaken what happened to cause them to say hey you know we got to start really changing the message here were they just not selling eggs what what was up yeah what really happened framingham massachusetts um became the site of the framingham heart study and this is back in the in uh, just before 1950 they got started they rounded up a lot of people and they noticed that high cholesterol levels were associated with heart attacks as long as along with high blood pressure and smoking and so then the question was why do we have such high cholesterol levels and the first place to look was well which foods have cholesterol in, in them and so attention turned to eggs and initially it was scientists who then not the egg industry uh, but but independent scientists who were looking at eggs and the conclusion was really clear that you could bring in research volunteers feed them eggs for four weeks then take the eggs out for four weeks and you could see while they're eating eggs, cholesterol levels go up. When they stop eating eggs, cholesterol levels go down. Uh, the egg industry became alarmed and they did just what you said, Chuck. Um, after a number of years of getting hammered by this and having uh, health authorities say, well, eggs raise cholesterol, we should eat fewer of them or limit them. Uh, the egg industry tried to fight back and they designed studies that uh, were rather tricky. Uh, starting in the 70s and especially in the 80s and 90s and, and then today really, the, the majority of studies on cholesterol are funded by the Ed Nutrition Center and, and uh, other industry allies. They'll set up these studies where they have relatively small numbers so they can say, well, the results weren't really statistically meaningful. Or as I mentioned earlier, earlier they'll compare eggs to something else that's got a lot of cholesterol. So it, it doesn't look too bad by comparison. So how can you tell if a study has been funded by a particular industry, in this case, the egg industry, is there some sort of disclaimer that they need to put on there? Yeah, there is. They, they'll tell you. Um, it's, in <laughs> fine, it's in fine print, but you can read it. Um, when you go through these studies, it will say right there, funded by the Egg Nutrition Center um, or, or whomever else. That's the, they, they've been the ones who have been most involved, but uh, whoever uh, was funny, they'll, they'll print their name. All right, we're going to get back to industry influence in just a little bit, but I want to circle back to a couple of other things first. Um, we've also talked in the past here on the show about the inordinate amount of cholesterol that's found in other animal products. Meat uh, is one of them. How does the cholesterol in an egg compare to, say, a slab of steak or a Big Mac that you might get from McDonald's? Well, the cholesterol itself is the same the same molecule. What's different about an egg is there is so much more of it. Um, you'd have to eat a heck of a lot of meat to get the amount of cholesterol that you get from an egg. Um, but that doesn't mean that meat is healthier because what's even worse than the cholesterol is the saturated fat, the, the bad fat, which is in eggs, but even more so in meat and even more so in whole milk and, and milk products like cheese. The saturated fat, when you eat it, causes your body to make cholesterol. So they're both bad. The cholesterol in the foods, that's a problem, but the bad fat is uh, part of the problem too. So if somebody is rather fond of a weekend breakfast, steak and eggs, scrambled eggs with cheddar cheese on there, um, probably not the healthiest idea in the world. Heart attack waiting to happen. Uh, cholesterol, high cholesterol levels are clearly bad for your heart and they are clearly driven Number one, by the bad fat. Saturated fat will raise your cholesterol. But cholesterol itself that you eat, it's not as if it just washes through your intestinal tract. When you eat that egg, the cholesterol goes down into your intestinal tract, 
It's then absorbed into your bloodstream and it adds to your own. About, about half the cholesterol in that egg ends up in your bloodstream. But some people might say, well, now, wait a minute, that may be so, but egg whites are a healthier option. What do we know about them? Well, the cholesterol is in the yolk, that's, that's right. And the white is just a big glob of protein. And up until about three years ago, we thought, well, okay, you know, at least there's not fat or cholesterol, it's just, it's just protein. But there has been this huge change that we now know that plant protein is superior to animal protein. What we mean by that is uh, Harvard researchers and researchers elsewhere started looking at different protein sources. And we had all thought that the eggs were a good protein source because, because first of all, they got a lot of protein. But secondly, the protein they have is made up uh, of a pretty large dose of the essential amino acids, the building blocks of protein. Ergo, uh, egg protein has to be good for you. Same with meat protein, same with dairy protein. However, the researchers then said, well, if this protein uh, is so densely uh, concentrated in essential amino acids and the, the protein is somehow superior, it should have a health advantage. So they started looking at individuals and discovered that it didn't pan out that way at all. People who got their protein from animal sources die earlier than people who get their protein from plant sources. And it became very, very clear that if you swap animal protein, egg protein, for plant protein and bring in the beans and the vegetables and the grains, uh, your likelihood of dying is much less. Why? What we think is happening is that essential amino acids, while they are essential, you only need a certain amount. And plants bring you that certain amount. When you have beans and grains and vegetables, you eat them all together, you get all the essential amino acids in the amount nature wanted you to have. If you have an egg, it gives you too much. It's just like uh, liver. Liver gives you too much iron and uh, too much in these cases is, is really bad for you. So eggs increase mortality, plant products are better choice. But what if somebody's cooking the eggs, uh, they're using them to bake something, right? You go to the bakery, nine times out of 10, the cake's there, they have eggs in it. You go down any aisle in the store, any product on the shelf, a lot of times that too will have egg in it. So when the egg is baked in or cooked into something else, does that still raise your cholesterol? Absolutely. It has exactly the same effect. It has exactly the same effect. The cholesterol is still there and the saturated fat is still there. And speaking of saturated fat, I really want to spend another second just kind of drilling this this home. Is it possible to say whether that is more villainous than cholesterol? Is cholesterol the bigger villain here, or is it kind of an equal playing field? Uh, I think it's fair to say that saturated fat is the big villain, because when you consume the saturated fat, it definitely boosts your, uh, your cholesterol levels, but the cholesterol uh, that you eat does it too. Uh, but both end up in the egg. That's the problem. Uh, if you take that yolk and send it to a lab, they'll say there's a boatload of cholesterol and there's a fair amount of saturated fat there too. Take two eggs, they've got more than three grams of saturated fat between them. Now, with this being Heart Health Month, I also wanted to circle back here to cardiovascular disease, right? We're talking about a lot of things here that just clog the old arteries, really not good for the ticker. Um, when it comes specific to eggs, I think we talked about this a little bit already, but let's hammer the point home just because it is February, it is Heart Health Month. What do we know flat out about the link between the health of your heart and the amount of eggs you're eating? Well, we've known this, this is what we really have known ever since the Framingham study got started, and many other studies have confirmed it, that when if you take a person 
who grew up maybe the way I did in the Midwest. And, and we all thought that meat was good for iron and protein and eggs were, were healthy protein and all this kind of stuff. If you take that person and you switch them to a plant-based diet, you get the eggs out of their diet, you get the meat out of their diet and so forth. What you see is their likelihood of having a heart attack goes way, 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 way down. Uh, their likelihood of having a stroke or other kinds of cardiovascular disease, it, go, it goes way, 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 way down. So all of these things, um, these cardiovascular risks are related to what we're eating and the eggs, as well as the other animal products are clearly part of that equation. It's just, nowadays there's no question about it. I hear you say that. And then there's more confusion piled on because in 2015, the American Heart Association kind of changed their position on eggs. I mean, before that they said, look, don't eat any more than three in any given week. And now they're listed as what they call, quote, a nutrient dense protein source. So what happened in 2015 with the AHA and eggs? Actually, in, in the years running up to 2015, starting 2005, 2010, up to 2015, the Egg Nutrition Center's studies started being pub were, were being published in a really high number, and they were lobbying like crazy to say, uh, be nicer about eggs, stop criticizing them so much. And in fact, the Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee at that time was heavily lobbied by them and put out a report saying, well, they weren't so worried about eating cholesterol because our egg industry friends say that it doesn't raise cholesterol levels too much. And we actually met with uh, the decision makers at the Department of Health and Human Services and the USDA and had to talk with them. We went through the evidence and they they changed their tune. And they the, the guidelines that came out said clearly you should eat as little cholesterol as possible. Um, so uh, there, there's been just huge lobbying. But with the American Heart Association, there's another piece of it. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, Chuck. They, they have something that they call the Industry Nutrition Forum. It's an American Heart Association body. They set it up. And if you are a food company or an industry group, you can pay them $15,000 a year as dues, and you'll belong to the Industry Nutrition Forum. And McDonald's does that, and Cargill does that, and the Egg Nutrition Center does that too. And if you pay that money, what do you get? You get special access to the policymakers at the American Heart Association. Now, they might say, I don't want to speak for them, they might well say uh, that they are not influenced by these industry groups at all. But I would, would personally question whether you really want to sell a, a welcome mat to, to your organization, to people who have products that are linked to, to, heart, to, to heart disease and other things. Yeah, you you emailed me a list of people who were part of that group last night as well um, that also were contributing to the American Heart Association. And also on there, General Mills, Mars Wrigley, Quaker Foods, a lot of those highly processed, high-fat foods that you and I talk about week after week here on the show. I don't think also, I mean, forget eggs for a second. I don't think that there's a lot of people out there that would say that a candy bar is necessarily going to be a heart healthy food either. And yet here they are, got their hands in the till with the old AHA. That to me is kind of mind boggling and it's concerning. This has been a, an area of huge controversy and, and the American Heart Association has been hammered for it, but they're not alone. Um, the, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics has been uh, criticized a lot as well. When you go into to their conference, you see the dairy industry and various supplement organizations and, and, and the people who sell candy and every kind of food that you want a dietitian not to say no to. 
they've got their money out and they're they're trying to buy influence. And with the American Heart Association, that's that's really the name of the game. Now, different organizations are different. There are some that do not accept industry money. As you know, the Physicians Committee doesn't accept money from the food industry at all. And um, and there are other organizations that have done that. The, the, Amer the American Medical Association years ago cleaned house. Uh, back years ago, they had a program about cholesterol that was funded by the uh, Livestock and Meat Board, the Beef Board, the Pork Board as well. Um, and as time went on, the, the AMA realized this does not reflect well on us. And they threw them out. Uh, and I'll give them credit for that. So when we conduct our studies, um, you know, Dr. Kaliova and her team, uh, including you, you guys do all of these wonderful studies. Where does that funding come from if it's not coming from big food? Well, back in 2003, I guess people know about our, our diabetes work that really hit prime time in 2003. And that was uh, we had uh, grants before that from private diabetes foundations, um, which um, the Diabetes Action uh, Research and Education Foundation. We're, we're very grateful to them for funding that. But then in 2003, NIH kicked in and they gave us uh, generous funding to do the hard work of testing different diets. And, and at that point, we tested a plant-based diet versus the best current portion control diet. And everybody knows the results of that. Um, and our members have been very supportive as well. So our members might donate to, to this work and many of them do. And that's what keeps us going. Now, there are plenty of researchers, including really good researchers, who are really trying to figure out how to keep their labs running. And so they have their hand out, hands out to various food industry groups. And, and, and we haven't done that because we just feel that it's going to compromise our, our credibility. I, I don't mean to necessarily criticize those who do. But in our, in our case, we don't, we don't accept that kind of funding. No, but hypothetically, if there was a big broccoli group, right? And they came in and they say, hey, we want you to do a study about broccoli. Even though we know that that's a health food, is that funding that the Physicians Committee would take? No, no, we, we can't do it. We can't do it. Um, mm -mm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, we're not able to do it. Um, uh, yeah. No, no, because, because you, you don't want to be kind of Ouija boarding the science. So no, we, we don't take food industry money. I like the way that you put that Ouija boarding the science. That's true. You know, and it's, it's fair. I, I think that, you know, um, just a lot of some of the naysayers that, that may watch the show from time to time and, and want to throw their two cents in there, you know, they accuse us. Um, I don't know if they're joking or not, but I've legitimately seen people suggest that big kale is funding some of our <laughs> research or, you know, the, <laughs> or, you know, the carrot industry is the single biggest supporter of the exam room, which is hysterical to me. Um, but no, that's, that's absolutely not the case. So, you know, but you know, but you know, Chuck, those people are right to raise that question though. Um, because you you do see that a lot, um, and even with something that you and I would think maybe not so bad, like uh, walnuts, are walnuts healthy? Well, the Walnut Commission um, is very eager to meet with scientists, and so so th there are foods that you would think are, are healthy foods, but you still don't necessarily want them involved in your research. Um, so you you want to be able to do your research, arrive at your conclusions without without <laughs> having to have the food industry talk to you about what you publish. The Ethics of Nutrition Science. We could do a full episode on that alone. Yeah. Um, let's go ahead and open up the doctor's mailbag here. We've got a little bit of everything in there, including uh, we've got a kind of one here, an interesting one about eggs. And, you know, they say a lot, Dr. Barnard, everything in moderation, 
right? And so Pratip here is wondering whether a mostly plant-based diet that does have a few eggs, a little bit of fish and chicken could still be considered healthy. It is amazing how quickly you can ruin a good thing. Uh, when a person, no, seriously, um, let, let's say you, you smoked for a long time. You managed to quit. You're not coughing anymore. Your shirts don't smell. Your, your fingers aren't yellow anymore. Everything's going great. Your doctor says, you're going to live a long time because you quit smoking. Um, and you say, well, what if I smoke just, a, just on the weekend? <laughs> just at a party. It is astounding how when you track risks, how the risk starts to go up very, very rapidly. The same is true with diet. So you've gotten the animal products out of your diet, but you said, well, you know, that cheese was really good. Uh, so you, you bring it back in. And what you find is astoundingly, the weight loss that has continued month after month now grinds to a halt or your cholesterol level starts to go up. And then, so not only do little bits of these foods create problems, but also they do something with your head. If you ever had something that you were kind of hooked on and you've been away from it for a long time and somehow you give into the impulse to have to have a little bit of it, it's amazing how quickly you can get thrown right back down the rabbit hole. So those are really two good reasons to just kind of forget about the foods that don't love you back. The first is that they, they, they will hurt you even in small quantities, but also they, they tend to lead our habits in a bad direction. We have a couple of people right now in the chat who are wondering, well, you said that baking the egg, you still get the cholesterol, but is there any way to cook it that would reduce the amount of cholesterol in there? Yeah, sure. Um, you well, you take, a, take the egg and crack it out, put it in the pan and cook it thoroughly. Flip it over, you know, not sunny side up. Cook it very thoroughly. Then you take it, you put it on a small dish, cut it up in little bits and put it on the floor and let your dog eat it. Your dog will eat that, that, um, that egg and your dog's a carnivore, so they tend not to get cardiovascular disease. <laughs> I, I knew, I, I knew as soon as you said, yeah, sure, this was going somewhere. I knew it. Oh my goodness. Okay, uh, let's uh, change gears a little bit here. We talked about cheese earlier. We're making a cheese omelet, essentially. Rita is wondering whether fat-free cheese could be a healthier option. Um, yeah, you know, look at the labels. Um, the negative part of the plant-based cheeses Oh, well, I guess, you're, Chuck, you're asking me you know, two things. You're talking about animal-based cheese where they've tried to reduce the fat. Forget them. Uh, that, that's still an animal product. But if you're looking at plant-based cheeses, look at the ingredients. The ones that have the coconut oil in them, not so good. Uh, the ones from cashews, healthier. And best of all, nutritional yeast, that gives you that, uh, that flavor. By the way, while we're talking about um, replacements for things, Chuck, how about if we say a word for a couple of replacements for, for scrambled eggs and things like that? Absolutely. Uh, you know, um, you've had scrambled tofu. I probably just about everybody has has had it. And if you take that tofu and you scramble it up and you mix in a little bit of, of that nutritional yeast, maybe a little mustard or uh, some pepper and some salt, it I got to tell you, people, whatever fear they had of tasting tofu uh, suddenly melts and it converts into, you, you just love it because it's, um, it's so healthy. There's a new product out called Just Egg. And I don't know if you've had this, but um, it came on the market uh, a number of months ago, maybe a year or so ago. It's, it's in a bottle. You pour it into your fry pan, turn it on, and the ingredients are scramble it like you would an egg. And you think, oh, this is, is this a bunch of chemicals or what is it? It turns into what is, for all intents and purposes, scrambled egg. So you look at the label, and it's actually made from mung bean protein, um, along with some, I believe it's canola oil. And that's kind of it. And it, it, it does a really good job of simulating the egg. 
not saying you need it. You don't have to have it. It is a commercial product, but uh, if you're, you know, Uncle Harry's coming over and he wants scrambled eggs, you serve him that and he's not going to know the difference. Uh, and Chuck, what, what convinced me on this one, I got to tell you, I was giving a grand rounds presentation at a hospital and the, the it was a cardiology program and all the cardiologists were there and they were listening to me. And then the, the chef for the hospital brought in the, the lunch buffet, which they always had after the lecture. So I thought, what are they going to serve? And here were two big vats of scrambled eggs. And he said, um, try them, see, see what you think. Let me know which one you like better. And so one of them had some little chunks of, of vegetables in amongst the scrambled eggs, the other didn't. And so people rated which one they, they, they liked better. And then the, the chef had to say, I got to tell you, there's not an egg in either one of these. He was using the Just Egg product. So I thought, you fooled them. You could fool just about anybody. No cholesterol, no animal fat in it. So anyway, it's, it's kind of cool when technology is on your side once in a while. It is. And, you know, uh, my wife, Julie, loves that stuff, too. Absolutely adores it. Um, she was she was one of the people who were blown away the first time she tried it. She's just like, there's there's just no way there's no egg in there. And there's not. It's a uh, food science, man. It, it blows my mind. Uh, you mentioned there was a little bit of canola oil in there. We have a question from Lynn wondering about what may be a good oil for frying. Specifically, she's asking about grapeseed oil and avocado oil. Yeah. Of those two, I would pick the vegetable broth. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Chuck. I'm, I'm giving you a hard time. Um, all, all oils, um, vegetable oils, are cholesterol free. Then you know animal fats have some cholesterol in them, but the vegetable oils don't. But um, the let's say you go to something like a canola oil or avocado oil or olive oil, they have much less saturated fat compared to chicken fat or beef fat or dairy fat. That's good, but they don't have zero. They they don't have they they are not free of saturated fat. Plus, they are not free of calories. When it comes to calories, they are the same as lard. And so that's why a lot of people say, okay, forget the canola oil, the, the olive oil, whatever. And, and you can saute in vegetable broth or some people saute in wine or to tell you the truth, if you get a good nonstick pan, now, I'm not talking about the ones from the 1960s where the Teflon would like scrape up, you know, and end up in whatever you're cooking. The ones nowadays, um, let's see, the Demeyer is one brand, Made In is another brand. There are others too. Um, they make a really good quality nonstick pan. And uh, that allows you to really cook without oil at all. And that's what I suggest. I suggest that people get away from the idea that you've got to have oil in order to make food. You really don't have to. All right. Oil, not necessarily healthy. Cholesterol, definitely not healthy. But fiber certainly is. We have a question from Jacob who says, with respect to fiber, does it matter whether you get it from a smoothie and you've blended it into what he calls a paste? Or is it best to get it from a whole food? Well, both the, of the choices that you mentioned are better than eating animal products. So if you switch to a plant-based diet and you're having a smoothie as part of it, great, that's fine. However, what you'll often notice is that when you have it as whole food, if, if let's say weight loss was one of your goals, you'll discover your weight loss is much easier when you're, instead of having the smoothie, you're having whole food. And that's, it's, it's kind of obvious why. That smoothie goes down the hatch in about like a minute and a half. Uh, the meal takes much longer for you to eat and you, you'll, the satiety will kick in sooner. So the liquid calories, maybe not, not necessarily the best choice. That said, there are a lot of people who start their day with smoothies. They don't have health issues. It's entirely vegan and 
not really a bad choice. All right. Uh, fiber, lots of it found in beans. Kundan says, though, he has a little bit of trouble when he eats them. Matter of fact, he says, my health crashes when I eat beans. So should I quit them? Um, I'm not sure what the, the health crash is. If, if it's a question really of digestive issues, which for some people it is, um, two quick tips. First of all, there should be no al dente beans, meaning cook, cook them until they're really, really mushy, soft. Um, if you're cooking your beans only until they're kind of less crunchy, that's going to be a digestive challenge. So cook the beans thoroughly um, and then start with smaller portions. If you're eating this much steak, you might think, well, now I've got to have this much beans to replace it. Uh -uh. Um, a little bit goes a long way. So start small. Your digestive tract, your gut microbiome will start to modify and start to change. And over time, they'll discover that you do really well with, with beans. Now, try different kinds. Uh, for some reason, you'll discover maybe pureed black beans with some Mexican salsa, a little bit of jalapenos is great for you. And maybe baked beans not, uh, or, or lentils are and some other isn't. Um, it, it's, it's a little bit like the weather. Uh, some are more digestible than others. But over time, what you discover is that you adapt and you can really include them in your routine in a pretty big way and really enjoy all that they have to offer. Michelle's been learning a lot about nutrition in recent years. She says she's been vegetarian now for about a year, but often feels tired, wondering what can she do perhaps to increase her energy? Okie dokie. Um, well, first of all, just the basics. Before we even get to food, you want to make sure you're sleeping enough. And if you're not sleeping enough, look at what that might be. Um, if it's stress, well, you ought to win the lottery. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, we we want to do whatever we can to diminish our stress and, and to deal with the things that are that are interfering with our sleep. If it's something like coffee, that morning cup of coffee is still uh, delivering a little bit of caffeine into your brain at midnight. Uh, and it's it's very different for different people. Some people can have coffee during the day and they sleep like a baby. For many others, um, they're they're sensitive to the small amounts of caffeine in coffee, tea and sodas. If, if you're having trouble sleeping, get that out of your life. Alcohol, same story. You have a glass of wine, makes you feel a little bit sleepy, but then at three in the morning you wake up. Why? Because the alcohol in al the alcohol molecule is modified by your, your body to what are called aldehydes, which wake you up. So caffeine, alcohol, part of the problem. Getting into food, just a couple of really simple things. Um, if you are finding yourself tired after meals, look at the fat content of the meal. If you're eating things like guacamole and fried foods, the fat in those foods makes your blood thicker. It doesn't flow as well. It doesn't oxygenate your brain as well. And you find that you get sleepy. That's the, the Thanksgiving afternoon uh, somnolence that many people have after that gravy filled uh, luncheon that they had. So keep the, the grease out of your diet and see if that doesn't help you. Uh, with respect to caffeine, a lot of people think that over time they can kind of build up a, a resistance or a tolerance to it. Is that the case? Yeah, it is the case. I mean, you become tolerant, which is why people are grouchy in the morning before they have their cup of coffee. Um, that's tolerance. So your body now says, my new normal is to have a certain amount of caffeine in my blood all the time. And at 630 in the morning, you don't have any. Um, and this happens very quickly, but you can, but, but you can, and what you'll discover is that your sleep might be better than it was when you were first having coffee, but you'll still discover when you break a caffeine habit, you'll probably still sleep better. I know for some people that's fighting words, 
but you'll get to know your body. One, one last little tip that I just want to share uh, with the, 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 the roomie who said she's having trouble staying awake and so forth. You might try this. In the morning, if you start your meal, you start your day with some kind of plant protein. I know that some people start their day with fruit or toast or something like that, or hash browns. These are not very high protein foods. Um, that complex carbohydrate that's now in your blood causes your brain to make serotonin. That makes you a little bit sleepy and you'll be sleepy throughout the day. If you have some plant protein first, it prevents the serotonin production. What do I mean? Go to the store and you get some tofu, get some tempeh, get some kind of vegetable griller, patty, something like that. Uh, veggie sausage or, or frankly a just egg uh, and you have that first and then you have whatever starchy thing or fruit you're going to have after that you've blocked that serotonin effect you'll notice really two things you'll notice that you're more awake and if you are prone to grumpiness you'll discover that that might be gone too ah there you go the cure for the grumps that's a good <laughs> thing right there all right don't take my word for it give it a try uh, two more quick ones. Uh, first from Bean Burrito. What is the best diet to increase testosterone? Um, I think the answer is in the question. That <laughs> 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 Bean Burrito may be it. Okay. Um, kidding a little bit, uh, but not entirely. What, what does a Bean Burrito have in it? It's got a lot of fiber. Um, it doesn't have much fat unless you added fat to it. And as you're eating a high fiber, high complex carbohydrate, low fat vegan diet, you tend to lose weight. So what could weight have to do with testosterone? Well, testosterone in your body goes into fat cells. And within the fat cell is an enzyme. The name is an aromatase enzyme. This will not be on the test. But the, that enzyme takes that testosterone that came into the cell. It converts it to estradiol, which goes out of the cell. So let me just walk you through this again so you're, you're clear. If you're gaining a little bit of weight, your, your fat cells are not just dormant bags of calories. They are active factories that are doing work. And one of the things that they like to do is fat cells convert your testosterone into a female sex hormone, estro estradiol. What can you do to boost your testosterone? Do not respond to television commercials and don't go on the website and buy things. Don't let your doctor tell you you've got low T. That is an invented disease. What you need to do instead is we follow a healthier diet that helps us to get rid of that excess body fat and that will help us uh, have the testosterone that nature wanted us to have. Now, frankly, um, we don't want to have too much testosterone. There are people, athletes, who have injected testosterone in, for, in, in hopes of increasing their uh, performance or whatever. Uh, it does way more harm than good. I got to tell you, in our modern society, we've got a little too much testosterone right now. So. Um, Bring that bring bean burrito back into the diet, lose a little bit of weight, get your testosterone into the right zone. All right. And that's a great segue. Losing a little bit of weight here. It takes us home uh, to Paula. Last question of the day says uh, she's seen a lot about lectins with regard to weight loss recently. She's wondering whether it's necessary to eliminate them from your diet. Oh, I'm so glad you've asked that. Um, you see on TV programs, there are people who talk about lectins that are in beans, for example, or in other foods. And it is true that if you ate beans raw, that you would get lectins in them that aren't so hot for you. But when was the last time that you crunched down on a raw black bean? I mean, that doesn't happen. When you cook them, the lectins are no longer a problem at all. So the bottom line is lectins 
not a problem. You're going to cook your foods normally, and it's not going to be an issue at all. So thank you for that great question. You know, I'm excited. I'm absolutely excited. By the way, if we didn't get to your question today, have no fear. We will save it and do our best to get you an answer on an upcoming episode. But Dr. Barnard, I am really excited. We've been talking about this for a few weeks. And with every passing day, the day draws near. March 30th out in LA, the exam room live and in person for the very first time ever. We're going to be at the eBell on March 30th. You and I, we're going to be joined by Dr. Christy Funk breast cancer surgeon to the stars, friend of the show, and she does so much to prevent that hideous disease. It's not even funny. And, and she does it like in the most fun and in a lot of cases, delicious way as well. So lots of energy, lots of surprises that night. March 30th, would love for you roomies to come out and join us. I know that we have a lot of exam roomies in LA. It'd be so good to be able to meet you. I'm so looking forward to this. This date has been circled on my calendar for a long time, my friend. I can't wait. It's going to be so fun to do this. We're actually all together in the same place. I really can't wait, Chuck. Absolutely. So here's the deal. Tickets start at just $15 right now. If you head over to pcrm.org slash events, you can reserve your seat today. $15 gets you in there, but there's also a very special VIP ticket that you can get that includes a plant-based dinner before the show, exclusive meet and greet and photo op opportunities. We're also giving uh, giveaways. We got some giveaways there and you're going to get premium seating once the show begins at eight. So pcrm.org slash events to get your tickets today, or just click that link that's in the show description or in the episode notes. We both hope to see you there. And a reminder, today's episode of The Exam Room Live has been brought to you by the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. The Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit people. You can learn so much about them online right now at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund. Org, and a special thank you to Allison Mahoney and everyone over there for their continued support. Dr. Bonner, can't thank you enough for the show today and your time and clearing up all of this egg confusion. I really do hope uh, from the bottom of my heart that we have really helped a lot of people out so that when they see these studies and they say eggs will not raise your cholesterol, what will happen now is their red flag may be raised and they're going to take a closer look at what the science is actually saying. Greatly appreciate your time and bringing that to the table, my friend. Well, it's been fun to unscramble things with you today, Jen. Here's something that'll blow your mind. Check this out. According to some estimates, the typical person here in the U.S. will eat somewhere around 300 eggs every single year. 300. Actually, it's 286 to be exact. Now, according to the Mayo Clinic, the average egg has 186 milligrams of cholesterol. So when you crunch those numbers, you take every one of the 286 eggs, you multiply that by 186 milligrams of cholesterol, you get a total of 53,196 milligrams of cholesterol every single year just from eggs. That is a heart-stopping number. And yet, and yet, the tug of war over your health continues. I'm glad that we had the opportunity to kind of decode a lot of the mystery surrounding eggs today. 
get some facts out there, learn about industry funded research and just how much work is being done to kind of skew our perception of what is and what is not healthy. Remember in instances like this, don't think of it as, oh, these guys have on a tinfoil hat. They are conspiracy theorists. No, not like that. Remember back in the day, the same kind of fight was happening with the tobacco industry. Oh no, no, no. Cigarettes don't cause cancer. Couldn't do that. Flash forward to present day, every single pack of cigarettes comes with a Surgeon General's warning and nobody is questioning whether or not a cigarette can cause cancer. So we got to continue to get these facts out there. And if you want to help us out, really help improve the health of others in our community, let's do it. Let's get together to do it. One of the quickest and easiest ways you can do that is to head over to Apple Podcast or to Spotify, subscribe to the show, follow the show, and leave a five-star rating. That bumps us up a little bit higher in the rankings, and the higher we climb, the easier it becomes for somebody who's confused and searching for answers to be able to find this potentially life-saving information. And oh, by the way, on Apple Podcast, when you leave a five-star rating, if you want to leave a nice review as well, that would be awesome. And in that review, if you want to tell us a little bit about some of the health successes you've had since adopting a plant-based diet and some of the things that you've learned about here on the show, that would be great. We may even feature it here on a future podcast in a segment we call the five-star health success. And before we wrap up today, I just want to say thank you to everyone who came out to the Gainesville Veg Fest over the weekend. That was a ton of fun getting an opportunity to meet so many wonderful exam roomies who came out to say hi. Also want to say a special thank you to the crew at TV News 20 WCBJ for having me on last Friday morning. That was a ton of fun. Absolute ton of fun. Thank you guys so very much for having me. Now, coming up, on February 16th in Bluffton, South Carolina, I'm gonna be speaking at the Eat Smart Live Longer Club. So if you're in that area, absolutely come on out and enjoy as well. And then headed back to Florida, just kind of making the tour here. Back to Florida on Sunday, February 19th, headed to Bonita Springs for the Southwest Florida Veg Fest. And details for that event can be found right now in the episode notes. I should be speaking somewhere between 11 and 12 that day. So come on out and say hi. It would be wonderful to meet you. Always love meeting the exam roomies. And I'm going to have my big pants with me. So if you want to grab a picture with those bad boys, they'll be there waiting for you. But for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Neil Barnard for being here and helping to raise our health IQs as we learn the truth about the incredible, maybe probably absolutely not so edible egg. For everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. Oh,